You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. It's Friday, it's Friday, and that means I'm super excited, super jacked up, super pumped for the weekend, and that is slowly, that excitement slowly getting shot down out of the sky because the weatherman says it's going to snow all weekend when I had plans to go do this big shed hunt, and uh, that kind of pisses me off a little bit, so, so... To all the weathermen out there, this is, you can't see it, but I'm flipping you the bird. Uh, it's your fault for weather patterns and all that crap. Just kidding. I'm sorry. Whatever. <laughs> but today we have another kick-ass podcast. We're going to be speaking with a guy named Eric Kramer, who used to live in New Jersey. Now he lives in Wyoming. And... Uh, we're going to talk about hunting. We're going to talk about his transition. We're going to talk about you know, what he does for a living at uh, Teton National Park, Grand Teton National Park. We're going to talk about where he lives, what he hunts, all that good uh, sort of stuff. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy that. And what else, what else, what else? Oh, yeah, this is where I typically say, now let's hear from so-and-so on so-and-so. And and by now you have literally heard every Exodus commercial probably three or four hundred times. And so all I want to say is that Exodus trail cameras are badass, right? They are, if I feel like an Exodus trail camera is that, that buddy who's really quiet. Uh, he doesn't say much, but if you mess with him, he'll kick your ass. For some reason, that's what I think of when I think of an Exodus trail camera. I don't know if any of that is a selling point at all. Or if the guys who uh, own Exodus are happy that I said that, whatever. Uh, I'm just I'm just pumped. It's Friday, and uh, I don't know how much longer. I'll say this: I don't know how much longer that discount is gonna is gonna last. Um, I'm sure we're gonna continue our partnership, but I don't know if um, it's gonna be the same type of discount. So if you are or have been thinking and haven't yet about purchasing uh, an Exodus 
trail camera, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh, enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. Just remember, quiet, but you don't want to mess with them because they'll kick your ass. So I'm off track and I apologize. Uh, so let's just get right in to this Friday's podcast with Eric Kramer from Wyoming. Eric Kramer, how we doing? Pretty good. How about yourself, Dan? I can't complain, man. Uh, I wish, you know, we we just kind of uh, shot the shit a little bit before we started recording the podcast. And when you told me that you lived in Teton National Park, I got a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah, I get that quite a bit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very, pretty lucky, I guess. <laughs> so let's let's kick it off. Um, where do you live? And that's kind of an obvious now, but where do you live, and uh, what do you do for a living? <clears throat> yep. So I live in uh, Jackson Hole area in Wyoming. Um, I actually live in inside Grand Teton National Park. Um, and yeah, I work. Uh, the reason I live inside the the park is I work for the National Park Service. Um, here uh, doing so kind of run a, a revegetation crew is what we call it um yeah so a crew of biological technicians we do native plant um, restoration habitat restoration and whatnot um in the national park here okay well i tell you it's it kind of funny i i i found out about you via um uh, one of my mar- my Instagram marathons where I just like I hit the search button and I flip through all the people I don't know and I think it was a picture <laughs> of you picture of you holding a mule deer and yep. um and uh, that's that's when I reached out to you but you know flipping through your Instagram uh, a little bit more I I did see that you were pulling a tractor with a cedar on it um talk to us a little bit more in detail about what you actually do and what the purpose of that revegetation service is all about. Yeah. So basically uh, we do a bunch of different things, but basically the goal is to kind of preserve the native plant communities uh, here within the national park. um, So that, you know, that could be from, so we'll do, you know, spraying invasive weeds and, um, we actually, you know, collecting some scientific data on the uh, vegetation out here and the plant species to kind of monitor um, how things are changing, um, how things are doing, and then also uh, the revegetation side, <clears throat> which uh, there's a few different things we do there. Um, we'll, we will, you know, replant areas after say there's it's a pretty big um national park here so we you know we've got infrastructure projects going on you know road work so any kind of disturbance to um the you know the native plants and whatnot right we'll go and <clears throat> we'll replant that and um yep and then the other side of it 
is so a lot of the the large acreage of land within the national park here that was previously farmed basically or it was cow pasture so um there's around 4000 acres of this just hay grass basically and we're basically trying to restore that back to native habitat and uh, native vegetation uh, like sagebrush and, and that kind of thing for you know improved uh, antelope bison and elk habitat so okay yeah that's kind of the kind so, of the so part down. of your job is basically planting giant food plots for the animals that live on in that uh, national forest right yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because, uh, <clears throat> you know, the other, well, just listening to all these podcasts and stuff and um, listening to yours and listen to, listen to you on the Wired Hunt. I'm, you know, it's like I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but, uh, yeah, it kind of occurred to me a few weeks ago. I was like, you know, it's, yeah, basically it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, just planting a big native food plot for um yeah, these animals, and it's right in a uh, like a, a migration path for the elk and the pronghorn. So it's, um, yeah, you nice. see them out there all the time. So nice. So, <clears throat> what else? I mean, as far as your jobs concerned out there, what else do you do um, other than that? Are, are you? I don't know. Do you do anything directly involved with the animals that live out there? Uh, for, for job, but basically, uh, basically any free time I have is going to be, I'm going to be fishing or hunting and, uh, it's kind of the way it's always been for me. So, so all that, all that stuff kind of falls in, you're out there doing this job because you want to hunt elk and mule deer and antelope and, and deer, right? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yep. So you mentioned before we started, uh, before we started recording that you, you didn't used to live out there in Wyoming. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you did used to live and then why you did decide to move out to that area? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was actually born and grew up in New Jersey of all places. Um, well, you know, lucky enough to grow up in a rural area, um, side and, you know, hunting for as long as I can remember. But, um, yeah, so grew up there. Um, yeah, moved to, moved to Maryland for, uh, to go to college there. And, um, yeah, that was kind of a, was kind of like an urban experience for me. Um, I go in school, living there for a while, just outside of Washington D.C., um, getting to hunt whitetails there and stuff uh, on the side, which is pretty interesting. And then, so yeah, and then basically, well, I started working for the National Park Service uh, there in that area in Maryland, and you know, I've always. You know, always wanted to go out west. Never really, never really came out here as a kid. 
you know, I did when I was younger, you know, did one trip to, to Alaska, um, had an aunt that took my cousin and I like on a cruise through, you know, on the coast of Alaska and that was neat, but you know, I was pretty young. So um, it definitely made a big impression on me seeing the mountains up there. Um, yeah, don't have a lot of specific memories of that trip besides, yeah, just being amazed at the scenery. And then, yeah, just growing up, I, you know, always wanted to go out west and, you know, kind of learned about this area and the Jackson Hole area, learned about it a little bit uh, during during uh, college and stuff. And, <clears throat> yeah, kind of just applied to a whole bunch of National Park Service jobs around the country. And, um, you know, I was pretty passionate about, you know, working you know, trying to improve habitat and stuff. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, and basically kind of not really, I didn't, I didn't really plan my moving out here. I was like, Oh, I'll apply for all these jobs. And, you know, one day that grand Teton called me up and, you know, I wanted to do an interview and I did that. And they basically offered me the job right there. I was like, hadn't really thought about it too seriously up until that point. Um, yeah, it didn't take me too long to think about it, and I was just like, "I'd be stupid not to not to take that opportunity." Um, what year was yeah, that? That was 2010. Okay, so 2010 is when you moved out there from yep. the you know from Maryland or New Jersey or wherever out to Wyoming. What was that like as far as a just a completely different environment? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, exactly that completely different environment. I just remember, well, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. just driving out, driving, I'd never driven across the country. So, you know, leaving, I, I took my brother with me and we, you know, did a three day trip driving out across the country with all my stuff. And yeah, just, uh, getting into, you know, once we got into like Colorado, we kind of did a little detour through like Rocky Mountain National Park and um, yeah, just kind of unreal. And then eventually driving into the, um, like the Jackson Hole Valley. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's, it's, uh, yep. yeah, it's pretty, pretty spectacular and yeah, it's pretty blown away. And then, yeah, just that whole first, first summer I was living here just like trying to take it all in is yeah just trying to go everywhere do a lot of fishing and um yeah and uh yeah just just really overwhelmed really and yeah just so different out here with a you know wide open wide open country you can see for miles and yeah just like fishing and hunting opportunities just everywhere you look pretty much national forest, you know, surrounding all kinds of public land. Yeah. The the whole public land thing, public land where I grew up, but you're nothing like it is out here. Just millions and millions of acres. Right. That was pretty amazing. When you moved, when you moved out there, did, does your job offer you uh, room and board at the, at like some, 
cabin or something like that? Or do you have like a house that you pay for inside the uh, park limits? So, yeah, they, the park service has like housing here and not free. Um, so yeah, I pay like a monthly rent for that. Um, you know, I first came out as like a, an old cabin that, uh, was actually, you know, used to be privately owned at one point, then uh, they ended up selling it to the, the park and, you know, they kind of use it for uh, employee housing. And, um, yeah, so there's, they got a few cabins like that around and got some, they've got some little apartments that they've built and yeah right now i live in live in a uh an apartment like a small like fourplex apartment building gotcha um yeah just right kind of in the middle well of the park so i take it that's affordable because when i went yeah. into jackson hole uh one day when i was out there elk hunting um because my tent got a hole in it i had to go buy another tent you know I, I had to have it so i couldn't wait and the only like i went to this uh, sporting goods shop right there on the square i think it was you know right yeah. across from one of those <clears throat> giant elk arches that they have there you know yeah on the, yeah, on the town antler square. Arches. yeah antler yeah. arches and uh right across and i had to pay like 700 dollars for this three-man tent <laughs> and i felt like i was getting ripped off but i really had, yeah. I, I needed it is, is it expensive to live out there it is, yeah. It's a uh, yeah, it's expensive town in general, um, and then yeah, to like rent to rent a place in town is pretty ridiculous. Um, and then yeah, buying a house is like told whole another story. I mean, um, yes, it's. Uh, I think it's technically. I think it's like one of the. It's like the first or second like wealthiest county in the nation. I think. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Yeah, but it's kind of, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's probably kind of skewed a lot by all the, you know, giant mansions that they've, you know, millionaires have got their summer homes out here. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it's expensive, but yeah, it's more affordable. Uh, the fact the housing I have is, is more affordable than it would be if I had to rent in town. So, right. Well, I don't know about you, but I think it would be pretty kick-ass to live uh, out there. Do you get uh, a view of the Tetons from your any of the windows in your apartment? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, pretty much. There's like kind of a, there's a house right in front of us. But, yeah, pretty much if I walk out the door, you know, there, yeah. there they are, you know. Amazing view right there. So pretty sweet. Cool. cool. So you move out there. You... You start planting grass, basically, or doing whatever it is that that you're, you're doing out there. Um, is this a is this like a forty hour a week job, or is is this more of a seasonal job where you're just busting ass as long as the sun's up during the day in the summer and spring, and then when it's winter time, you're kind of on a little uh, um, a little lull of work, so to speak. Yeah, it's kind of. <clears throat> Well, so when I first started, it was I was doing it just, it was a seasonal job, so I was, you know, working, yeah, we were busting our asses from May till end of November, or end of October. Um, yeah, so the first couple of years, I actually, you know, after, you know, in the winters, I'd go, I went back to New Jersey and worked in a 
Um, you know, lived at my parents' house to save a little money and worked in a greenhouse back there. And then, um, it was actually pretty sweet for a while. Cause I, you know, I'd get to hunt all the antelope deer and elk seasons out here and drive back East, you know, right around Halloween time and, you know, get back right when the, when the rut was kicking off and get basically get, you know, a month of bow hunting and whitetails back in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, kind of, but yeah, that got, got expensive going back and forth. And, um, so yeah, then, uh, just this past year, I was able to get a, um, more basically like a job where it's like a four year term. So, and then, yeah, so then I actually have worked through, through most of the winter, but okay. still, yeah, still, still busting ass all summer long. But yeah, 40 hours a week, that kind of thing. So, right. Yeah. So is that, is, is your job like a, a contract job where you said you got hired on for four years and then they reevaluate the contract at the end of the, <clears throat> a, a specific term? Yeah, that's essentially, that's essentially what it is. Yep. Okay. I gotcha. And it just depends on what the, what the budget for the park is, right? Yeah. Yeah. What the budget is and if you know, priorities have changed, if the need is still there. Um, but yeah, still like a government employee. And the good thing about that is that, you know, get benefits and stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah, when it was on as a, the seasonal worker, you know, we didn't, didn't get benefits like and whatnot. So, Right. So now, yeah. do you, and I don't, I don't know, because I, I know that in certain state parks around Iowa, I believe that if there is hunting uh, allowed, there are uh, times where there, some of these state parks have an on-site, um, I, get, I don't want to call them a DNR officer, but they're like the, the park supervisor, and uh, they, they look after the park uh, the entire year, but those guys get like first chance in at, uh, hunting these properties. And, you know, there's a lot of good deer hunting in them. Do you, uh-huh. do people get to hunt ever inside some of these, some of these, uh, federal parks? Uh, yeah, they do actually. And then, uh, Grand Teton, we actually, there actually is, uh, an elk hunt that they do in the fall. Um, is that specifically for a fed, like employees of the park or anybody can do it like a draw? Nope, anybody, yeah, anybody can do it. It's just, it's a regular, you know, the tag is, um, you know, regular tag that you draw through the state of Wyoming, you know, state, state game and fish. Um, yeah, it's just its own, it's kind of its own, uh, uh, hunt area that we call them in Wyoming. So yes, the park is its own zone and has a special season. Uh, it's like cow elk only, and and uh, they do like we do administer specific rules, so it's a little more stringent rules than you'd have in the national forests where you know you just go by the state regulations and, and all that. So yeah, it just has a little extra um, extra regulation. Okay, all right. So now you you live out there. You started living out there. Um, did you ever hunt out there before you moved out there? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I did pretty much. Yeah, pretty much all whitetail hunting back east, mostly in New Jersey and a little, 
few trips. Did uh, New York and uh, a couple times down in Virginia and Maryland. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did, did go on one moose hunt in Maine when I was younger. Um, but yeah, I don't remember when I was maybe five or six years old, my dad came out, went out to Colorado, hunted elk and mule deer. And I just remember being like so mad that I couldn't go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, now I realize if I was in his position to be like, hell no, you're staying home. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, I can't pack you around everywhere I go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he came home with a big, big mule deer buck and had it, well, yeah, had it mounted. And I guess it came a few months afterwards um, from the taxidermist. But yeah, just looking at that thing um, growing up on the wall in the basement, just, yeah, kind of dreaming about, always dreaming about hunting out west. So when you get, you get out there, um, and for me, I would, I would really, I'd be working just to work, but my mind would be like, oh, okay, what do I have to do, right? What are, what do I have to do to find these animals? What do I have to do to, to get on them? What do I have to do? Who do I need to talk to to find, you know, get any advice that I can? When you first moved out there, was it, did you know or through research where you needed to hunt or was it just kind of like a clean chalkboard, like a blank piece of paper. And as soon as you got out there, you were, you started taking notes, you started doing research, you try, you know, you know, weekend trips to certain areas to glass. What, what did you do to put yourself in a position to be successful? Yeah. So yeah, my, it was pretty much a clean slate. You know, I, I came out here, I didn't really know the, the draw dates or anything like that when I came out here. So, you know, I, I talked to a few people I worked with that were big into hunting and, you know, talked to them a little bit, like, cause I didn't really, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to hunt that first year. So I was like, I don't know how the tag system worked and anything. Um, yeah, but didn't have like the resources, resources like we do today. Um, or at least I didn't know about them. So, yeah, basically kind of found out that I, you know, I'd missed the, the draw deadline, you know, by several, quite a few months. And to talking to some people I worked with, they're like, oh, you should check out, you know, look for, you know, leftover cow tags that they'll, you know, they'll make those available like, over the counter after the draw if there's any leftover tags for certain areas. Um, so, yeah, I kind of looked at that and, uh, there was a few areas around here where there was leftover cow elk tags and I kind of just, you know, talked to a few people and they're like, yeah, there's pretty much any of those areas you're going to find elk. Uh, just a matter of finding them. So I kind of bought a tag for the, the kind of the closest area and did a little bit of scouting throughout the summer. Um, but I, yeah, I had like no idea what I was looking for. Um, but, you know, just trying to hike around and find tracks and elk sign. And I didn't really find much uh, until the hunting season. Um, but, yeah, I just got kind of like studying maps more and more. And the areas I scouted, I was like, well, I think I'm I'm not looking up high enough. And I'm not, um, I don't know, maybe I need to look at some of these areas where it's harder for guys to get to. So it's harder for them to access. So, I, kind of picked out a few <clears throat> few drainages where it was uh 
a little steeper going in, in these kind of steeper canyons. And like, well, maybe, you know, guys will be less likely to want to put that work in to get in there. And, um, so that, you know, one of those areas is where I actually started finding some elk. Okay. So you realized right off the bat that, um, it was going to take a little bit more than just, you know, walking up to a public, a public, a piece of public ground and, uh, you know, thinking they're, you know, all the animals are going to be right there. You still had to do a lot of work to, you know, find them, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, yeah, okay. looking on the map too, I was like, well, yeah, I'll just go, I'll drive up this road and then I'll hike up up to this ridge and, you know, I get there and it's like totally different than what I expected, you know? Like worse? Uh, first, you mean steeper? First, yeah, like, and, yeah. Yeah, first place I tried to scout, I was, I was like, oh, I'll just hike up this ridge. It was just all deadfall and thick timber and right. I made it like a half mile and I was exhausted and I <laughs> didn't find anything and just, yeah, kind of ran out of time that, that time, but yeah, yeah. Pretty eye-opening. So when you when you got this, was this cow elk the first tag that you got when you were out there? Yes, it okay. was. Um, so yep. you got a cow elk tag. Uh, were you going after it with a bow or with a rifle? I was going, actually, so I, I brought my bow out here, and I, I didn't have a rifle, so I, yeah, I was hunting with a bow, and I ended up, yeah, hunting with a bow, and then I actually ended up, uh, buying a rifle while I was out here like you know a week before the or maybe the rifle season already started and I was like oh I'm gonna I bought a rifle and sighted it in and started hunting with it so so uh and that was so that tag that you bought was good for um any any weapon yep yeah okay and, uh, and then were you yeah, successful most- that first that first season I was, yeah. I ended up, uh, I shot a cow with my rifle, uh, yeah, about a month and a half into the season. Um, yeah, I'd seen some elk when I was out bow hunting, but actually got maybe within bow range one time, but, you know, they kind of spooked in the timber. And, um, but yeah, I ended up getting, getting one in mid-October with the rifle. Okay. So are you out there now, you know, you've had a couple other seasons, uh, and I've seen success, uh, via your Instagram page are, you know, over these past six years that you've lived out there, uh, now have you, have you, have you become a better quote unquote Western style of hunter through, through experience? Do you feel? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I've, been fortunate enough to you know be i've been successful every every season so far you know getting at least one elk um and yeah definitely the first couple years i felt like i kind of got lucky i was just out i was just i just put myself out there a lot you know until something just came in my lap but um but yeah and over the years i definitely you know learned more and definitely evolved into you know kind of realizing what what it takes um to be more efficient hunting out here and really like yeah i really feel like hitting my stride in the last two years 
um, just like figuring out a lot of new, a lot of good areas and, um, yeah, realizing how important it is to start getting in shape or just trying to stay in shape all year round. Um, yeah. Yeah. Instead of just picking up a backpack and, you know, doing a few scouting trips during the summer and hoping that'll get me in good enough shape. Um, yeah, but definitely evolving every year. And then I definitely feel like I it took, did take a lot of my Eastern, you know, Eastern hunting style. Maybe it took me a while to catch on to the whole, like, glassing thing. You're trying to yeah. find areas where you can glass. I'd always, you know, try and I'd find areas where I'd find a lot of sign and um, or like, no, there's elk using that area and, you know, just try and like still hunt through the timbers, like try and try and be where I think there's going to be elk. And yeah, just kind of learning with experience a little more of those other tactics of, you know, yeah. kind of using your eyes more and more than your legs. And... Right. So how, how important is scouting, uh, out there for an individual to be successful? So I guess it depends on what you're going after. Definitely. So with elk, I would say, I mean, overall scouting is not as useful or not as critical. The reason I say that is because you find you're scouting in July and you're, you're finding like you find where there's, you know, big bulls are hanging out. Um, Normally by the time, September comes around, you know, they may be there that very, very beginning of the season, end of August, early first couple of days of September. But once the rut starts, they're, they're moving out of those areas and moving to go find cows. Um, but I, there are a lot of places where, you know, if I, you know, the places that I have found to be good during hunting season, if, if I go there in the summer and there are cows using that area, um, quite a bit. So I think, yeah, if you're, if you're bow hunting, if you're hunting in the rut for elk, um, I think there is value to finding areas where there's cow elk in July and August. Cause it's, there's a good chance that's where the elk are going to, or the bulls are going to come at the beginning of the rut. Um, and then mule deer, especially if you're hunting mule deer in the archery season, Scouting can be huge, especially, you know, especially if you're looking for a particular buck, you know, if you're, if your standards are high and you want to, you know, shoot a certain size buck. Um, so yeah, pretty much during the summer, those, those mule deer are up, up in the high, high country basins and, you know, above 9,000 feet and they're feeding out in the open, you know, they'll be, you find them out there just feeding until you know 10 or 11 o'clock when they till when they finally bed down um, so they're they're definitely pretty visible and you can you know you can look some of the areas i've scouted um and yeah pretty fortunate to have some really good mountain ranges around here for mule deer where you don't have to look too hard for them but uh you definitely can pick out areas where you know the bigger bucks like like to frequent more often and You'll find 
you'll find basins where you can sit in one spot and spot. You know, this one place we found this summer, I went in there in July and from this one ridge where we sat in glass, we think we spotted 22 bucks across the, across the basin on the other side of the basin. And, um, and then, yeah, like half of those were, uh, maybe like 10 of those were, you know, over 140, 140 inch bucks. And yeah. then the basin just on the other side, we, you know, we saw 15 bucks, but they were all, you know, one and two year olds and, you know, one, maybe one or two, three year olds. And, um, so yeah, I can definitely, you can definitely save yourself some time for mule deer hunting by scouting during the summer and, um, yeah, finding where those bigger bucks like to hang out and kind of evaluate the terrain, just get to know. But yeah, overall with, yeah, any species, I think you definitely, definitely can't hurt to scout and, you know, get out there and get to know, just get to know the terrain. That's a huge, yeah. huge advantage. Um, yeah, just, you know, cause then you get, get in there in hunting season, you know, you know where the springs are where there might be a wallow or you might know how the best way to get around you know to this ridge you're looking at and um yeah you can just save yourself a lot of time and and be in the right position so let's talk i want to talk a a second about about the mule deer you know they're there in july and and are they going to be there when the hunting season opens, you know, and after they, and after they shed their velvet, I guess, some, I guess a lot of States out West have uh, their archery season opens and you can shoot a buck. That's probably still in velvet. Um, but as that season progresses, do, do those mule deer change elevations at all? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So there'll be, you know, same place you find them in July and August. They'll be there. You know, our archery season starts on September 1st here. Um, and then actually the, our rifle season's pretty early for mule deer. You know, that starts on September 15th and they're kind of still in that summertime. There's their summer range at that time. Um, and they're kind of say by then, you know, most of them are stripped their velvet. You might still have some velvet bucks. Um, and yeah, right around that time, you know, after they've stripped their velvet and then they're getting more pressure, hunting pressure from rifle hunters, they will move down in elevation. Um, I don't have, I don't have a ton of experience actually with mule deer hunting. I, you know, done most, spent most of my time chasing elk. Uh, and it was just, uh, uh, two years or 2000. 15 where I really, really started, uh, more seriously mule deer hunting and yeah, so I don't have much experience with mule deer in the rifle season, but yeah, from everything, you know, my uh, friends I have have told me, yeah, they're a little harder to find once that rifle season starts and if you start getting cooler weather and they've shed their velvet, they'll move down, you know, they might only move a thousand feet in elevation or maybe even less, they might even go around the backside of that mountain where it's open basin on one side and more timbered around the other side. They might just move around that mountain and 
um, use that cover a little bit more, um, not not spend so much time out in the open. Gotcha. So, you know, I I, I talked with uh, a guy named Adam Parr. He used to live in Michigan, um, and he's he's been on the podcast before about going, you know, living out east and then going going out west. How big was the transition for you? Um, up in the elevation from a flatlander out east. Uh, as far as being affected you know, by the yeah, elevation, the, yeah, yeah. I guess I think it affects everybody differently. And uh, you know, I definitely, you know, it's definitely I'm definitely getting real winded. You know, trying to hike around. But um, yeah, I'm guessing pretty lucky that I'm not. I wasn't really didn't get altitude or anything like that um you know i don't get headaches or anything but yeah I just i just found you know it did take some time to get acclimated and, but you know just with hiking around i was able to you know get in a little better shape and, and uh yeah just have to work a little harder gotcha all right so you mentioned uh you kind of focused on elk the first uh the first couple years did you do you go out with you know starting every season off with your bow and then go to a different zone with a rifle or the same zone with a rifle or and, and try to finish the season with a rifle if you're not successful with archery? What have how have you been playing that game? Yeah, so definitely. I mean, I definitely prefer bow hunting. Like that's my you know biggest passion for sure. Um, I'd much rather, you know, I'd much rather get some with the bow than with the rifle, but yeah, so definitely, um, so yeah, definitely spend, you know, the archery seasons here, bow hunting, uh, trying, you know, we try, try as hard as I can, obviously to fill my tag with the bow. And then I, um, yeah, then kind of. You know, if I'm if I haven't been successful, then you know I will pick up the rifle during the rifle season and and hunt the same areas. Just once they just once that rifle season opens up. Gotcha. Now, when you're looking for when you're looking for a good spot to elk hunt. What are you? What are you looking for as far as terrain features, or cover, or trees, or um, elevation? So yeah, depending on the on a few different areas around here, and the one so the elevation can just be like relative to where you are. It can be different, but you know you can find them at pretty much any elevation. Just depends on where you are. Like the one area. I, I hunt, you know, the trailheads at like uh, 5,800 feet, and you know, I've seen, I've, I've run into them around, you know, 6,000 feet or so, or just over that. Then there's other areas where I'm starting out at, you know, the road or the trailhead is already at 8,000 feet. So, um, yeah, it's tough to go by elevation, but definitely, I mean, you can definitely count on you know so I'm, I'm looking for you know you're looking for areas where it's you know mixed timber well so i guess you got you got your basic 
need something else and think about it that way, you know, water and food and then um, shelter, you know, bedding cover. So a lot of times around here, you know, you've got these ridges and, you know, the top of the ridge and then the, the west or the south facing part of the ridge will be kind of open and like patchy timber and you got a lot of good feed out there, you know, your grasses and uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, and then you know, if you can find a place where, you know, it's, they don't have to go very far. They can jump over the ridge and they're on a north facing like thick timber slope. And, uh, and then maybe they've got water right there nearby. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, a good, good places to look are, um, you know, up near the heads of drainages. You have some areas where they'll be down lower in the drainage. They might be closer to the trailhead or something, but uh, you can pretty much, you can't always count on that, but you can definitely pretty much always count on them being up at the higher elevations. So, yeah, wherever like a creek originates at the, up at the head of that drainage, um, if you've got, yeah, if you got a combination of open areas and thick timbered areas and you know, I find they like to bed where I hunt, they like to bed, you know, pretty thick stuff. There's a lot of deadfall and you know, you can usually you if you'll see their trails and stuff going into that stuff <clears throat> and uh you know, you can tell right away it's you know, a good elk bedding area. It's probably where they're gonna be during the day. Okay. Now do you know, from your experience hunting out east, and now you have some experience hunting in the west, how do elk react to hunting pressure? Uh, I, and if you can, I mean, is it comparable to whitetails at all, or is it different? Uh, I, I guess you could, you could say it's similar, but um, definitely different in some ways. So you'll definitely, I mean similar in that you know once they start getting pressured um well i guess whether it's both bow hunting or rifle hunters you know they'll they start getting pressured they're gonna they're gonna hide they're they're not gonna come out during the day as much they might they're gonna turn somewhat nocturnal just like a whitetail might um one way that's definitely different is you know, when you, when elk get bumped or if they get shot at, especially with rifle, um, they're going to run, you know, they might run two miles. They might run, you know, five drainages over or something. They might run five miles before they stop. Um, so that's kind of different. And then they, they might not ever come back to that spot where you bumped them out of for, they might, they might come back in a couple of days or they might, they might not come back the rest of the season um, so they definitely got a you know much larger home range much larger core area if you will compared to a white tail um, but yeah definitely I mean, yeah all, all these elk and deer relatively react the same to pressure where they're gonna they're gonna stay you know they're gonna bed down before before light and they're gonna you know, they're not going to come out until right before dark or something like that. Um, yeah, they, they do, they definitely get harder to find and, 
kind of harder to hunt. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit um, about have you have you killed uh, an elk, a bull elk with a, a bow yet? Yes, I have. <clears throat> okay, let's talk about that for uh, for to kind of clear out this uh, episode. And uh, so, what year what year was it when you took your first bull elk with a bow? So, first bull elk with a bow, I think, would have been probably 2013 i think okay 2013 um and you had what two seasons of kind of messing around out there worth of experience during the archery season under your belt um let's talk why don't you just start off by telling us the story of of maybe what your goal was going into that season and uh, what you were looking for. Were you looking for, you know, uh, a big bull? Were you looking for just some uh, a spike, you know, any male, branch antler, whatever? Why don't you tell us the story? So, yeah, that year I was, you know, I hadn't, I'd, I'd killed a handful of elk with the, with the rifle up to that point, but still hadn't gotten one with the bow. Um, so yeah, I was kind of, my standards were pretty low. I definitely wanted to, with my tag, I could have, I could shoot a cow or a bull, but I definitely wanted to hold out for a bull. Um, you know, I had it in my mind, you know, I'd like to shoot a nice, you know, like to shoot a six by six. You know, it's kind of everybody's, I mean, not, I mean, not, I wouldn't say it's everybody's goal, but you know, that was my goal, but I wasn't held tight to that. You know, I was going to. If I had a good opportunity at something else, I was probably going to take it. Um, right. <clears throat> so, yeah, hunted, let's see, hunted the first two weeks of the season, and I don't remember if I'd had any real good encounters up to that point, but um, I, met, I must not have been finding a whole lot because I, you know, I, I was uh, decided to kind of look at some new areas. Um, so this one area, <clears throat> I, uh, I had a little bit of time on uh, a Sunday afternoon. So I ran out there, you know, shot my bow for a little bit and I was going to hike up this draw and just check it out. Um, so I hiked up there and yeah, not half mile from the trailhead. I, you know, I spotted these elk like right in the, kind of in the bottom of this draw and and right away, I see this really nice, like five by five, you know, mature five by five, and um, like holy crap! I didn't expect to see elk. You know, I was just kind of doing a quick little scouting trip, and so yeah, I stuck around until dark, and you know, tried some calling, but they, you know, they weren't. It was kind of open in there. They didn't, they didn't want to come to me, so um, yeah, I went back and talked to my roommate. I was like, man, you won't believe it. Like, we got to go back to this spot. He was, he didn't have a tag, but he was, uh, he did a lot of hunting with me. He was a Montana resident, but, uh, but we were working together here and living together. So yeah, so that next weekend we went out to that spot and drove up, you know, driving up the gravel road in the dark and pull into the trailhead there, you know, turn in, and also there's this you know the headlights right in the headlights there's this this big five by five that i've seen 
right in the parking lot and with his like five or six cows. No way. And we're just like dumbfounded. Like, well, what the hell do we do now? I didn't expect that. Like, thought we're gonna have to hike up and find them. But <laughs> um, so we're sitting there trying to figure out what to do, and then we see another hunter pulling in. We're like, oh, we better just go. <clears throat> so we get out and we start hauling ass up the trail, and we can hear him bugling at this bull as he's moving up, and <clears throat> uh, we're just trying to you know, kind of shadow him and match his pace going up this draw. Um, and yeah, we're, we're not able to catch up to him on that day. He was actually, he just uh, kind of kept going. Um, and it was just way above us. You know, we just couldn't keep up. So were you pushing him as, as you guys were climbing? Cause it was still kind of early in the day yet, right? <clears throat> yeah, it was still dark. We were, we started heading up the trail. So was he, do you think that, he was spooked no i didn't seem i don't think like yeah i don't know he was probably he probably knew he, he probably knew there by a road so maybe he wasn't too spooked by by us pulling in there but um you know they they, they just kind of seemed to be doing their thing as we were hiking in they were kind of doing their thing just um you know working working their way up the up the draw before light to right try and get to their bedding area um, yeah, so that, you know, that day ended in, uh, didn't end in success, but, you know, we went right back there the, the ne- very next day. <clears throat> um, and yeah, started hauling ass up the trail again. We're like, we're going to get there early and, you know, try and get up, be able to get up, up ahead of these elk. And so we, you know, we hike in, we, we get, a, get about a mile in before it gets light and, you know, sure enough, we we hear that bull bugling coming up the same draw. <clears throat> so we're just kind of trying to figure out what to do. So we we uh, decide to go up the ridge. It's on the left of the draw, so we're heading up that, and it's kind of old burned area, so we can kind of pretty open uh, as we're working our way up that. Yeah, you know, we can see we can see the elk down below us, like kind of working their way up the draw. And we're kind of in a position where it's like, well, I don't, didn't really know what to do. Like, should we, should we just go, you know, try and haul ass even further up the ridge and cut them off? Or should we try and just cut straight across, you know, head right towards them and then try like a calling sequence or something. Um, <clears throat> so we ended, we ended up just deciding, I was like, all right, we, we can't, we got to just make a move. So, you know, my buddy stayed on the ridge, and I went down into the draw and kind of got down a little ways, you know, 100, 100 yards up ahead of him or something. And it was so open, I felt like I couldn't get any closer. So I just kind of squatted down by, a, you know, one of the biggest burn stumps that were out there, and he started calling. And, you know, I could hear, hear the bull bugling, and couldn't really see him because they were in the there's some thicker trees right at the, at the bottom of the draw and that they were moving up through. Um, and, you know, he's not coming to the call or anything. He keeps moving up, keeps moving up. And oh my gosh, you know, this, this is not working. And eventually I see like a couple cows. It must've been like 
kind of straggling behind behind the main herd, behind that bull. And, uh, yeah, I see like a cow and a spike come out and, and they ended up kind of splitting off, splitting off from the herd and it was like a cow and a spike. And then this, this, uh, like four by five kind of small, uh, raghorns and they're just kind of feeding and then they kind of turn, they kind of like come and they start like coming straight across. You know, they basically made a 90 degree turn and started just kind of feeding towards me. And I was like, there's no way it's pretty wide open. I was like, there's no way they're going to come right by me. And at that point I'm getting worried about the wind because the sun was starting to come up. And, um, I knew that at some, some point the thermals were going to switch and that wind would start blowing up the hill. But anyway, that the cow and that spike ended up coming right by me and then I guess I didn't realize it, but I was I was like ten yards off this trail, this elk trail. The cow and the spike ended up coming right by me, like they were like five yards away. I could hear them breathing, and I'm just trying not to move. I'm shaking, and uh, they I was you know I was thinking they were gonna spook, but they you know they ended up going right by me. They ended up going right up literally I'm like 10 yards from my buddy who was calling earlier. Um, yeah, they, they walked right by him and there's still this raghorn bull kind of lagging behind. He ended up coming down that same trail and, you know, he got into, he got right about 30 yards and he put his head down to feed. I, I drew right then, drew my bow and right that moment, I felt the wind hit the back of my neck and this thermals switched and the wind went right to him. He like snapped his head up. It's like, I knew he got my scent, <laughs> but <laughs> I was already settled on him and, and ready. And I, you know, went narrow fly and, it, you know, saw it hit him and he was a little high in the lungs, but I was like, that's definitely a, you know, killing shot. And yeah, he, the bull like tore off up the hill and ended up, almost running my buddy over who was in like a little tiny clump of trees. And he had this all on film with his little, you know, cheap point and shoot camera. And yeah, as this, this bull running straight at him and they, then you can see his eyes get wide when he sees him. And then, then he veered off and ran down the hill. Um, yeah. So then, you know, I knew it was kind of a high shot. I was like, well, I definitely got long, but, uh, you know, so we, I went up and met, met with my buddy and he was like freaking out. He, he gets so excited and he, he was like cussing and yelling and <laughs> probably scared the bull further down the mountain. But, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, we, I was like, we got to wait and you know, we got to sit here an hour probably. So like, it could be one long. So we waited out and, you know, it was the longest hour of my life, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <we>, uh, <laughs> And then we got on the trail and, and there was like no blood. There was like a speck here, a little speck there. And it was kind of this open sagebrush. So we were actually like following his tracks because we couldn't find much blood. Followed his tracks down the hill and eventually he got into this aspen grove where it was, you know, all grassy. And then, you know, in there we couldn't find his tracks anymore because we had the out in the open, it was, it was a lot of bare dirt, so it was easy to follow his tracks, but 
anyway, yeah, we, so we looked around, I was looking, looking for blood for like another hour, trying to find, you know, it's going back to where I had last blood and just trying to, just trying to like figure out, okay, where would you go from here? Eventually I saw this off to my right. I saw a little trail, a little elk trail. I was like, well, maybe he went that way. I started following that and eventually found a speck of blood. And, yeah, we probably went another 50 yards and saw him laying there dead. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I ended up finding him after about two and a half hours of tracking. So what was that like uh, to kill your first bull elk with a bow? Well, it was just exhilarating. Like I, yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, I don't know how else to describe it other than just like unreal and exciting. And so, yeah, and, I, and a big, yeah, big difference with like elk hunting. Well, like you can have it in white tail hunting too, for sure. But it's so exhausting elk hunting and like when that moment finally comes and you make a good shot and and then the, you know, roller coaster, emotional roller coaster, wondering if I'm going to find it, am I, you know, are we going to find it? I, I knew it was a dead elk, but there's no sign to follow. And yeah, then when you finally see that elk, just like, just like a huge weight off and just, you know just like emotions pouring out and yeah. Yeah. Just like the amount of work you put into it physically and mentally. Um, yeah. It's always, it's always pretty amazing. So talk to me. I have yet to do it, but I am looking for the day to do it. Uh, what, what do you think the describe your very first elk pack out? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, definitely didn't know what I was, didn't know what I was in for. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. So if my first one was one of my longer ones, maybe, but you know, a mile and a half to two miles. I was lucky enough; I shot it just off uh, an old logging road. Um, so I just had to, you know, it was all hiking out on that road. Other than the two hundred yards, I had to haul the meat from the you know from the kill site up to the up to the road but uh yeah it's definitely it'll definitely kick your ass and i've done most of them by myself so that makes it even even that much harder um but yeah definitely now i definitely hike around with you know 50 pounds in my pack during the summer to try and prepare myself a little bit better for it but uh it's definitely never easy and, but I don't know what it is. I might be like sick and twisted, but part of me just like loves it so much. I don't know why, but (laughs) it's just so satisfying. No matter how much pain, you know, you might experience doing it. Um, yeah, like you might be miserable as hell the whole time you're hiking it out and your hips are burning and, you know, you, you're not used to walking with that much weight and your boots are like your feet are slipping in your boots. And, um, yeah, there's really no way to prepare yourself before you actually get to do it. Right. Um, yeah, but I don't know, part of it, once I, once I'm done, it's like, man, that was the, 
that was such a great experience and can't wait to do it again. Sick and twisted in that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, uh, Eric, I appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast and, uh, talk with us today about, uh, you know, a little bit about your job and, uh, life out West. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And there you have it. Another podcast in the books, another week in the books. Thank you very much to Eric for coming on the show and sharing a story with us. Huge shout out to each and every one of you who download this podcast. I thank you tremendously. Um, If you haven't already, go to iTunes, subscribe, or do whatever it is you have to do to subscribe. Go leave a review. Uh, Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Facebook. And another huge shout-out to Exodus Outdoor Gear and Exodus Trail Cameras, DeerLab.com, and Ripcord ARS. Make sure you guys go support that uh, those companies because they support me. And uh, between you and them, it makes this possible. So thanks to the entirety. And uh, I hope all of you guys have... A great weekend, whether you are sharing it uh, with a family or if you're running solo, um, have fun. And if you're in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. It's Friday!